Do you feel politically homeless? Lost in the chaos of modern politics? Not sure who to believe? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Democrats call him a Republican. Republicans call him a socialist. He is Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. Welcome to the Man in the Middle Podcast, Season 3. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host, recording today from the historic WGNS studios located in the heart of the great volunteer state, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well, folks, we're on Season 3, and uh, this is the first time in three years that we're going to do a show completely dedicated to the infrastructure and the recent uh, proposal by President Biden regarding infrastructure. So our very special guest today is Mr. Andy Dickey. Andy, welcome to The Man in the Middle. Thanks for having me. Hello, everybody. Yep. Andy, I know that you're an infrastructure professional, just like me. And how long have you been doing this, Andy? I've been doing it over 20 years. Over 20 years. And your experience is not just here in Tennessee. It's all over the country. All over the country, all over the world. All over the world, yeah. yeah. And you actually work, you're the global business development manager for a large software company that deals in structures. Yeah. Which yeah. is the structure part of infrastructure. Yeah, a lot people don't real well, maybe they do realize, but a lot of infrastructure is structural. It's yeah. not architectural in the sense that... We're not dealing with picking out what subway tile we want and those kind of things. It's bridges and nuclear power stations and things like that. Yeah, right. Currently, you're working on a nuclear power station in the UK. Is that yeah? So we have a really great customer that's uh, doing Hinkley Point Nuclear Power Station near Bristol, which is uh, pretty scenic. It's gorgeous, and I think they're doing a pretty good job at keeping that scenic look. And it it takes a long time to get to the job site on that narrow road because they want to kind of blended in with they want to maintain that english charm and stuff you know it's it's so i'm i i'm proud of them for doing that so it's a great job absolutely well andy we we have uh you know we're both infrastructure guys i've been doing it for 30 33 years 34 years my first trip to washington dc uh uh as a professional was to visit uh senator fred thompson and that was back in 1994. Legend. Yeah, a legend here in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I was 24, 25 years old, and it still stands out. But the remarkable thing, Andy, is that as a Tennessean, do you feel like I do that because of the history of the interstate highway system and the fact that Al Gore Sr. carried this through the Senate back in the 50s, do you feel an obligation now to speak up about infrastructure now that we have an actual plan? Most definitely. I mean, we wrote the book on it. Yeah, so we did. Yeah, and I think we, I, well, I should say we wrote the modern book on it because we struggled as Southerners, you know, to keep up and, and have all the development that we had in other parts of the country. And so that whole wave of when they came through and built the TVA and built the interstate highway system and on and on and on, right. we were sort of that blank page that you could try really modern new approaches to things and that became a core competency of ours and we'll have a lot of folks that are listening from outside of tennessee but but in a nutshell prior to the electrification of the valley by tva prior to the interstate highway system tennessee was a mud hole yeah in a lot of respects and a lot of sharecroppers yeah my grandpa was a sharecropper and it was the place where things got grown and people moved around following the season picking and doing all those things that they do and and now we're one of the fastest growing states in the union 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Population-wise, we have a thriving economy in Tennessee. Um, we need to diversify. You and I, <laughs> I have think both so. talked about I that a lot. I think so, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but as a result of these very basic investments from the federal government into our area. Yeah, I think it's something, if you go way back in history, we always knew. The rivers are like the, were the super highways. Right. of the eastern half of the United States. If you ever wonder why there's so many people in the eastern half of the United States, that's really why. Yeah, That's how things moved around, and it's something that's actually unique in the world, that river network that we that we have. So it's an old lesson, and it's almost that we had to relearn it in the modern times that you know, with rail and, and roads and those kind of things. And I think there's only, the sky's the limit for, uh, for us now. I think just a little trivia Tennessee and Native American languages I think it's Cherokee and Creek means meeting place right so what comes together in Tennessee nowadays is infrastructure it's roads it's rail it's air with Southwest having a huge hub here and TVA TVA with the, with the electrical grid so the we, we get engineers it and the Tennessee yes. River yeah we get it that's that's the takeaway right absolutely and so andy we've been like i said we've been waiting both of us are infrastructure guys and we've been waiting on this show for five years four years four years now a long time we haven't had we haven't had a real infrastructure week in at least four years so yeah and so that's that's kind of where i want to get with with all of this and we'll break all of this down for everyone but let's talk about what infrastructure is i think most people realize and they think roads and bridges but it's so much more in today's world it is i think the top of the list of the things that people probably wouldn't think of would be things like broadband but not just broadband but data centers right if you walk one of those job sites and i do that on a regular basis there's a big one going on right now north of of nashville there's one in alabama that you're really well familiar with yep uh there's no mistaking that you're on an infrastructure project. It's not just a building with some computers in it. You know, right. the, 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 the size and scope of these things, uh, the services coming in and out of them, the, even the structure type, the kind of building that they're doing, it's, it's, it's an infrastructure just like water or electric or roads. Yeah, and all of this, Andy, is really not just critical to the economy. The modern economy is built on the infrastructure that started in the 50s, really. But uh, but it's also about the future of the economy and our global competitiveness. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think everything has a cost, right? And so if I have to move people and goods, there's always going to be a cost related to that. Um, you know, that's people think of shipping or something like that is something that comes after but in in the business world it's really that's an input just like raw materials are electricity is an input yeah and i think if we're going to be competitive what we need to be aware of is every time we have bad infrastructure or infrastructure it takes longer to get from point a to point b with a person or a good it's going to add to the cost and make us less competitive in the global marketplace yeah and that's that's really for our um children and our grandchildren this is really who we're talking about and that's why we're so excited about this bill that's been introduced now i'll be the first one to say that this doesn't fix the long-term problem of the highway trust fund no it doesn't let's get into that a little bit before we break down this bill so the highway trust fund most folks don't realize that we don't borrow money to pay for our roads and bridges and basic infrastructure in this country you pay for it with the gas tax you pay a state gas tax and you pay a federal gas tax. Andy, take a guess at what the average driver spends for access to this fantastic infrastructure 
of our ancestors that, that they left behind were literally standing on the shoulders of giants. What does it cost the average driver? I have no idea, but I know it's probably not as much as people think it is. It's about 500 bucks a year. Yeah, there you go. Now, now, what a bargain. It's a bargain for sure. Look at, look at what Amazon and Jeff Bezos has done with that kind of bargain. Yeah, yeah, but that's what we want, right? Right. I, you know, we don't, we don't have to like everything that they do or agree with everything that they do. Right. But we want people to be, have access to affordable goods and services. And to start businesses. And to start businesses. And provide jobs. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so all of the things, so one of the things that we always talk about is that for every dollar we invest in infrastructure, we receive 5 to $8 back in economic activity. So what's the multiplier on a $2 trillion infrastructure bill, Andy? No idea. Yeah, well, it's got to be at least $20 trillion. Well, I, what I do know is that because there's always arguments about these things. You know, when sure. I lived in the D.C. area, they were, they were trying to get the purple line through and you'll never get the money back and blah, blah, blah. What I knew is that as soon as a station was announced, the property values skyrocketed, you know, all those sorts of things. Like you can never prove on paper what those things are worth. Right. What I, what I do know there is they're worth a lot. Yep. And those expenditures only go up. Yes. So every second that you wait to do an infrastructure repair, improvement, or new infrastructure, it's never going to be as cheap as it was last week. That's right. That, and, and that's just a standard pretty much for everything in the world. It Labor is. costs more. Materials cost more, as we know right now. Uh, building materials are skyrocketing. Part of it is the logistics caused by the pandemic. And safety rules and all those things. If we were to go back and look in the 50s at the cost per mile adjusted for inflation Mm -hmm. because of the techniques and things that they use that we don't use anymore because they're not safe, you know, it was cheaper to... I mean, I know that sounds a bit morbid, but it was was cheaper to build it then. Right. And so, you know, the the labor supply is going to continue to be... to continue to constrict... The time is always now if you can if you can do it. Absolutely, and especially if you can pay for it, right? And yes. we have been paying for it as we go, especially here in the state of Tennessee. We take no bonds out, never have in nope. the state of Tennessee. We pay as we go. If we can't pay for the road, we don't build it. That's correct. And so that, it, but that's not necessarily the truth in all states. A lot of states do issue bonds. And There's some unfortunate. Yes. situations related to that and there there's a debate about you know how various states do it but the federal overall um and it can break you if you think about oh, like yeah. the water system down in birmingham and or, how that or new orleans right yeah what if they yeah. didn't have the corps of engineers correct right there would be serious problems in louisiana and the mississippi river in general but you think about the the highway trust fund that was set up about by Eisenhower. And we just told everyone basically what they pay in taxes every year to access this system. The highway trust fund was set up in the 50s. It's a user fee, so every gallon of gas you pump, you pay that tax. It's built into the price of gas. And what has been happening, Andy, is that I know that you're looking at a Tesla. Yeah, that's coming soon. You Very soon. Everyone in America. Yeah, you would be shocked how many you see on the road, particularly here on the west side of Murf. You know, on the west side of Murfreesboro, it's more and more every day. It's really popular. My wife Shelly saw one this weekend. Guess what? She's all about them now. She's looking them. They're nice, absolutely. But we have electric cars coming online, and when you listen to um, General Motors, Tesla, Ford, 
all of them are moving to electric vehicles. Oh, that Ford Mustang Mach-E is beautiful. That is a beautiful piece of machinery. Right. It absolutely. It, it, yeah, that's a, it is incredible. And it's what, zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds. Something, anyway, ridic- something ridiculous, ridiculous right? yeah. But, uh, but when you look at electric cars that are coming online, and whether folks agree with that or not, guess what? It's, it's here because the consumers want them. Yeah. The, the, that's that we reached that tipping point a, a, a few years back where it's actually a preference that when when you tell somebody well you can buy a model three and beat a porsche yeah right. in, in a race right i mean who wouldn't want to do that it's it's a genuine pleasure to drive these electric cars and not just the teslas like you were saying you know there's many out there that, that can just flat out fly yeah absolutely so when you when you add but and then the environmental factor which is great to combat and the cost factor change, yeah when you look at that's kind of like a secondary thing for the consumers right they're like not only do i have a really cool car but you know it's we're producing and it's less hassle because if you get you've got it most people have a charger at home yeah so imagine never having to stop and get gas on the way when all you want to do is come home from work and go home and yes. not have to mess with it. Those folks don't have to mess with it. Yes. And so when you add this attraction of the electric cars, in addition to fuel-efficient cars, every year cars become more and more. We are using less and less petroleum every year uh, of, of gasoline, really, and, and probably diesel, too. I don't know the numbers on diesel, but I know we use less gas. Because of the way that the funding for infrastructure was set up, we're actually receiving less revenues now because people burn less gas or no gas per road road mile yes so it's this drastically changed yes. the, the picture and yeah. this is why the formula of the highway trust fund is in trouble yeah definitely and so we've got about 10 years don't you think before we've got i think that's probably a pretty good guess Mm -hmm. based on what i've heard and so what i'm looking at this biden thing and tell me if you disagree with this but i I, yes it's an injection of a lot of cash into the infrastructure that's desperately needed because this has been ignored it has yeah and it's not a new it's not a new phenomenon what we're talking about as long as cars have gotten more and more efficient this has become a problem but We've got this huge, we've got a highway trust fund and, and the way that it's set up. And now we've got Biden uh, proposing a plan. What I see this as, Andy, is a transition plan that buys Congress time to develop a new fix to the highway trust fund. Would you agree with that? I think so. Like you can kind of read between the lines and look what, what's there. Yeah, I, I think that's what's coming. I think we need a permanent funding solution, definitely, which we do not have. I would like to see one that's so good that we don't have to debate it ever again. Right. You know, well, and there are states that have that. Honestly, I, I would count Tennessee in that category with respect to the to, to to TDOT at least. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not something that you will open the paper and see them arguing about, and it's because they created a, a, a structure and a, and a funding mechanism and yes. a system for improving what happens next and those kind of things. Right. That takes the all the fuss out of it. I don't see why we couldn't do that at the federal level absolutely and you know let's give credit where credit's due in tennessee republican governor former republican governor bill haslam had the forethought he understood how that the match of the way there's a formula folks of how these things work between the federal and the state government but governor haslam introduced the improve act which added six cents per gallon uh, over a three-year period to the state tax in Tennessee. Uh, it costs the average Tennessee about maybe 50 bucks more a year. 
and it effectively doubled the size of or the funding of the state DOT. And so let's give Governor, but here's the, here's the thing I always remind him of, Andy. Here's the but in it. Without those 25 Democrats, and that's about how many we've got in Tennessee up in the state house, without those 25 Democrats and Leader Craig Fitzhugh, that never would have happened. I agree with that, yeah. But it needed to happen. It had to happen. This economy doesn't run on hopes and dreams or fairy dust or anything. It runs it, on the infrastructure. It, it doesn't. And and that's we'll get to the tax yeah. part here in a minute because there's a lot of criticism already about this infrastructure bill. About Let's just talk about it now, about Joe Biden's proposal. And they're saying, uh, Mitch McConnell, this is a, this is a tax raise in the, hidden in, under the guise of infrastructure. But at least Joe Biden has put a plan out there that, that is paid for. Yeah. Yeah. All, all they have to do is vote for it. Now, we heard the 45th president talk about infrastructure. Well, he wanted to spend $2 trillion on infrastructure. But he couldn't find the money. Couldn't That's why it never came, came, came onto the table. That's exactly right. And so what we're really talking about here is political courage. Yeah, definitely. I think the money exists if you do things like what he's planning to do, which I do. Re- you know, I don't like that he's trying to do so much. You know, his, his idea of infrastructure, if you look at this plan, is, is wide range. It's ranging. very broad. It's very broad and, and maybe stretching mm-hmm. what infrastructure might be considered a little bit. I think that's a fair criticism. You know, I think broadband should be, the definition needs to be stretched to include that. Yeah. But things at home and, you know, different things like that, I don't right. know. Right. But, okay, fine. I, I said my piece on that. I think that's a fair criticism. But the idea that there are corporations that don't pay any taxes and the right. fact that he's linking those two things together. Yes. Not only is it brilliant, it's just accurate. I don't know other, any other word, you know, these are yes. the reasons why we've struggled with, with infrastructure in the past Yeah, is because if, if you're going to let these folks off scot-free and then they're going to use our system, our systems like, system. like crazy, right? You know, something's got to give at some point. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, for me, and we'll go ahead and talk about the taxes on this infrastructure bill. There's a 15% penalty for offshoring. Yeah. There's a, actually a break for staying in the United States. Which is excellent. 28% corporate tax rate is actually less than what it was four years ago. It is, yeah. It's actually less, so it's, it is actually a compromise that's been made. And so this is a real America first policy, wouldn't you agree? I think it is a real America first policy and it's 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 a it brings a sense of fairness. Yes. I think we get caught up in the rhetoric and the dogma, but the the plain and simple fact is that if we've got people coming what what is what is government? What is this country? It's people coming together to do things together like roads and bridges and yes. the military and stuff like that. Legitimate functions. Correct. And if you've got people that are sort of opting in to using those things but opting out of funding those things that gets pushed onto families yes because the needs don't go away now we've seen some of the needs go away in the form of neglected infrastructure right right so that can't continue to happen but when those people opt out of of paying their share right that gets pushed onto american families and that sort of starts to drag the whole economy down because if american families are struggling America struggles. Yes, and and so that's a, that's a very great point that you're making. The middle class is basically the folks that end up paying for it when the corporations don't. Correct, is, is really always because saying. we're the biggest body of people, of, of course, or, or the biggest source of or, income, or the pool of income. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. yeah. So um, you know when you talk about 
um, the, these corporations, we're not talking about small businesses. Oh, no. No, but, no. But, but now they're already, the critics of this plan are already saying that this is going to drive small business. We're talking about large, in most cases, multinational corporations. Definitely. Because the the people around the corner from this studio, they don't have the lawyers and the CPAs. And the lobbyists. And the lobbyists to get them out of paying these taxes. They're, right. they're going to pay pretty much what they've been paying. Yeah. Now, I have to, I do see some scenarios where their taxes might go up, right. but I have a feeling, and maybe this is just me being naive, I don't think so, that that might be temporary. Yeah. Because I don't think, we've, we've had these corporations, um, and I'm not picking on any one of them, I mean, they're just doing what they can get away with, right? Yes. Um, right. But we've had them copping out for so long, mm-hmm. I don't think we know what the right tax rate ought to be on a small bit because the the system has just gone so haywire. Yes, with this sort of thing, go, you know, this tax dodging going on. Yeah. So, I would just ask a small business owner just to keep an open mind. Yeah. And let's see what happens. I think, you know, infrastructure is really important to their small business as well. It, it it's extremely important, especially when you get into the broadband aspect and you can set up shop anywhere. And you can shut up shop anywhere, and then if you're in a in a community like what we have out here in Rutherford County, when you would love to see people from Nashville come and spend money, yeah. you know, or right. come from Hamilton County and spend money here and spend time here, but it's all about access. If they can't get easy access to this location, right, it makes it pretty tough for them to come here and spend that money. So. I think everybody benefits. Yeah, well, I I will name a company. I'll name a Tennessee company that effectively paid zero once again in 2020. Oh, here we go. FedEx. Wow. They effectively paid zero. Now, FedEx does a great job, employs a lot of people. They do. And these are high-end, high-paying jobs as Very well. Very good jobs, exactly what we want. But these guys are wearing the infrastructure out. Yeah, definitely. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, what is the net impact in terms of the governmental coffers, given that we're in, we don't have a state income tax as well? So right. So here we are, you know, watching these benefits accrue in private hands and in federal hands. I mean, I'm not an advocate for a state income tax, right? But we do have to take that into account policy wise. Absolutely, we have to fully understand that we're going to have to pick that money up somewhere else. Let's talk about another part of this. I'll, I'll move on from the taxes a little bit. So it's not true that small businesses are going to have this huge impact and tax burden. Not that I can see. And, I, and I'll be happy to be proven wrong. if it. I'll, I'll come back on this show and say I was dead wrong, but I, I've looked at it pretty closely, and I just can't see it. Me too. So we want to dispel that notion. The other notion that we want to dispel is a very popular term that you'll hear about public-private projects. Or P3, as they're referred to in, in our industry. They're called P3s. And and so, folks, here's the thing on P3s. Um, for large projects, like when we're talking billions of dollars, like the interstate, the toll road through the middle of Orlando, where the private company financed $3 billion on their own. Yeah. And they get to collect the tolls for the next... Andy, they run the numbers on their $3 billion investment. They're probably going to make... $50 billion before this is over with. Yeah. But if, but if you, we had built it together. Right. 
what would it have cost us? Right. right? So, 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 right. The funding for that for the government was just too insurmountable for the state yeah. of Florida and the federal government on one project. So I get that. But let's take a single pass bridge over Overall Creek. Yeah, probably not a good good three uh, P three. Not a good P three. Not a P three, and that's what the vast majority of infrastructure is, folks. It's tiny roads. It's tiny bridges, culverts, and just the things that you don't even notice are there. Right, that you still have to cross that creek to get to school. To get to school, you still have to cross that river to get products to the market. Correct. And so, so the P3 thing is not a cure-all. We cannot privatize the roads and bridges in this country. I don't think so. No. I, I don't I think, think so. I think it would be a disaster. I mean, just think about the time involved in the technology. If it's not time, it's technology, right, to even collect the tolls for all these things, and you just nickeled and dimed. I mean, we don't want to restrict people's movements. We don't right. want to be in a situation where people are making choices about just staying home. Let, let's take the state of Texas, for example. Now, we just saw what uh, deregulation of the electric system, what it does to folks in Texas. It's a real tragedy. There were people that lost their lives. There are people that lost their businesses. The, uh, anyway, same thing with the giant toll road they built in Texas, Andy. And guess what the, the owners of the toll road ended up doing? They so many people avoided that toll road that they just gave it back to the state of Texas. It was costing them too much money. Yeah. And so when you hear P three folks, don't be fooled by that. There are projects where P three will work, but the vast majority, ninety percent of the projects, P three public private partnerships will not work. They are impractical and they are fantasy. In a lot of respects, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there, uh, we've got one going on here in Murfreesboro, essentially with the soccer park. Yeah, and I, I read that deal and I thought, wow, I would really like to have that deal. You know, right? The soccer association's basically going to get free run of the place for very little money relative to what it's going to cost for to a actually small fee. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and that's usually how those things go. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and at so, the smaller local level. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and so, well, let's kind of get into that. So, um, well, I want to talk about one more thing about the taxes, okay? And it's, it ties into the taxes and the economic. And I want to have our good friend Gabe Fancher on because I want Gabe to, to, uh, to explain this to me. I've seen a lot of comparisons, especially with the American Rescue Plan that just passed for $2 trillion. I've seen a lot of people compare us to the Weimar uh, Republic of Germany after World War One. Andy, what was Germany exporting to the world after World War One? Hardly anything. Schnitzels? Yeah, hardly anything, yeah. honestly. So how can you compare that to a superpower? We are an economic superpower. Yeah, I don't like these comparisons. They kind of stick in my crawl, and I'll tell you why. Right. Because I don't like the, the trade deficit either as far as the num- the way those numbers are represented right because they don't take profit margin into account they don't they only take the top line into account i'm getting a little too technical probably now but they take the revenue like what the total bill was like if you go to the restaurant right right but they don't t- they don't say what you're actually making so we we could have a trade deficit and from now until forever mm-hmm. and be totally happy with that and be doing better than everyone else right if our profit margin is higher than everyone else is like do you want to sell trillions of dollars worth of 1% margin stuff? 
or do you want to sell half as much but have 10% margin? Right, exactly. Right? So you're making a in that case you're making a lot more money. So a lot of that's rhetoric. They don't, you know, they don't take into account that a lot of the things that we're exporting are super high margin services. Yeah. Uh, Facebook is a service. Right. You know, you start to list off all these Microsoft. things. Microsoft. Microsoft, you know, Microsoft Windows runs the world to a large extent. So Exactly. Well, and that kind of leads me into my next point because another talking point, and I love to dispel this because the thing I love about this infrastructure plan is that it has a plan to pay for it. And at least it's a jump-off point to have this conversation and to start. We're not going to borrow. We're going to pay for this as we go. But we hear all the time that we're going we're going to go broke. Now, when the tax cut passed in 2017, no nobody one nobody said nobody that. Nobody said that. Three three trillion dollars or thirty, you know, three a trillion dollars a year it added to the deficit. That You're one right. tax cut. Well, that's okay. because taxation is theft, right? So I think the difference would be is that I don't live. That's dogma. It is dogma. You know, and my life doesn't run on dogma. It runs on on, on facts. reality. Yeah, in reality. Yeah. So right. And instead of economic theory. So this is the other thing that I'd like to ask you. You know, as long as the rest of the world is buying our grain and our petroleum. And our iPhones. And our iPhones and our software and our weapons of war and our cars and our Levi blue jeans and all of those things. Are we are we really going broke? Yeah, I, I highly doubt that. And so I think it's the concept of an economic superpower, which is what we are. I, we didn't. Well, it is, and we didn't hear about the deficits very much the last four years either. Like this is no, just oh yeah, you can right. set your watch to oh all this yeah. kind of stuff, and right. and honestly, that doesn't have to do anything to do with who's in the White House at a particular time. It's which party's in the White House. That's and, correct. You know, they they everybody gets together and has that meeting and says, okay, now it's time to start talking about the deficit oh, again. Yeah, right. It depends on who wins the election. Yeah. Right. Well, it's kind of funny you bring that up, too. There was a bipartisan infrastructure bill that was in the House and the Senate. Never got through in the last four years, even though the Republicans controlled the first two years Well, completely. that tax cut made it impossible to pay for it. And so guess how that, guess how that infrastructure bill was financed, Andy? How? Debt. Yeah. Municipal bonds. Yeah. So this is a better bill. Would you I, agree? I, I agree. And then the other thing is it doesn't kick the can down, down downstream. You know, we have that problem in this state as well. They'll make mandates in the schools and things like that. Right. And they're unfunded. So then right. the, the local school system has to go and buy all these computers and do these things. You know, that's that's the thing to really love about this bill. I agree with you. That it's not doing that. And, and, and Andy, I think you're uh, a fiscal conservative. So am I. We think it is important to pay as we go. I agree. Yeah. I live my life that way. Now, let's break it down to the state of Tennessee real fast, and, and we'll get back to infrastructure just, you know, but this is important because it's important to understand how we pay for these things, these legitimate functions of government. state of Tennessee's got a $3 billion surplus right now. By the way, the balance— That's a sin. Yeah. I'm on, I, you know— Now, let's say—let's talk about why that's a sin, Andy. Go ahead. Well, well, no, you. So when you've got people, when you take people's money, now I'm going to sound like a libertarian, and you know how I feel about libertarianism. I'm not a big fan, but you take people's money and they're hurting, and then just sit on it for what? Yeah, I mean, what to what end? You know, and they talk all this stuff about the credit rating, you know, our financial standing, and those. Okay, who cares? Right. If you don't wield it. It's, you know, it's it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything to anyone. And I, I think it's a sin when they're suffering out there. Um, yeah. and, and I would encourage, 
you know, there many of the the members of the House and Senate, you know, they have pastors and priests and those sorts of things. I would encourage those folks to speak to those representatives and those senators and tell them, you know, this is this is a sin what you're doing here. I think you make a very good point. So we're either overtaxing people, which means that folks need to get their money back. They need to get their money back, or, or they need to get something for their or money. We're underspending. Yeah, and my money's on the second. Because we do rank in the bottom half of we're in so many categories, in so many categories to name, whether it be and we're number one in medical bankruptcy. It just depends on what you want to talk about. But but in education, so many things we're in the bottom half because our state and these folks are really proud of of balancing the budget every year. Well, we balance the budget every year, and I like. But they didn't balance the budget. They didn't write. If you you know that an unbalanced budget goes in both directions. You can overspend and underspend. They do not have a balanced budget today. When you have a surplus, that is by definition not a balanced budget. That's correct. And a huge failure and a sin. Because government is not a business. Well, what it tells me is that they don't know how to make a budget. Right. And so if I, you know, if if in construction, I had jobs come in way under budget, and I and I thought, yeah, that's nice. But what I'm dealing with is an estimator or a project manager that frankly doesn't know how to budget. They don't know what they're doing. Right. And I would apply that same rationale to the state legislature. I look at that and I say, they don't have this in them. Like they don't, and the governor's mansion as well. They really just don't know what they're doing. And people act like it's something to be lauded, but right. it's in black and white that they don't know how to budget. That yeah. it, it's proof. Well, I love. Well, it's constitutionally required in the state of Tennessee. But you see what I'm saying, though. Like you can oh, going yeah. over budget and under budget are equally not on budget. Like no, it, yeah, right, exactly. And and to the point about you know it is important business attributes and understanding budgets are important factors in our elected officials. I do not dispute that at all. But the government is not a business. The government is not set up to make a profit. Well, you know better than anybody in, in this county that you can run a dump. You can bring any aggregate business in under budget every single year. You just run the dump trucks without ever changing the oil. Yeah, right. Yeah, and but you're what's under. Happen? Yeah, and you're right. under budget. Yeah, we or no maintenance on the plant. Right? Yeah. So is the C. Yeah. So is the CEO going to come and slap you on the back for that? Right. So why are we slapping them on the back for this? That's it doesn't a great make any point. sense at all. Now I'm going to get a little partisan here, but I okay. love to remind them who passed the balanced budget amendment in the state of Tennessee, Andy. Yeah, it was the Democrats. It was the Democrats. Yeah, yeah it wasn't the Republicans. There were about three in the state. <laughs> Lamar Alexander and Fred Thompson were about the only yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When that happened. So, all right, let's let let's let's talk about the numbers here a little bit. Um, so for the railway railways, we're talking $80 billion. I'm really excited about Amtrak. I think that all this is just a precursor yeah. to them taking a run and expanding and. I hate to use the word expanding because we had it. You know, right. all the old timers will tell you about it. I mean, Union Station in Nashville was in use into the eighties. So for am you know, for for passenger service. So I'd like to see all that come back. It would be great. It would be great. Andy, we both spent a lot of time in Europe and we know about the rail system there. I know you've spent a lot of time in China. Talk yeah. about the rail system in China. Well, you get on the metro and then you go hook up with one of these high speed trains and they go north of two hundred miles an hour and you just the nice thing is, is you don't have all the security that you have with planes. It's just so smooth and frictionless. Yeah. You know, that that's the, the, the best and, way I know how to describe and fast. it. And really fast and really smooth. 
and you don't feel like crap being in a pressurized cabin for ages and right. that sort of a thing. The other thing is the zero mile. A lot of you'll hear yeah. that talked about, especially with mass transportation. Mile zero, when you get off of that mass transportation, where are you? Yeah, right? for sure. I think one of the things that we didn't have when we lost passenger service in the 80s is Uber or Lyft right. or any of those kind yes. of services. So I would encourage people to keep an open mind on that. The whole dynamic of per- personal transportation has completely changed. How cool would it be to get on a bullet train in Murfreesboro and take it to Miami Beach? It would be great. For 250 bucks. Yeah, you'd prefer that. Over right? flying, I would, well, absolutely. I think a lot of it comes from people not having traveled by train. Right. They don't understand that the beer cart comes by. Right. Oh, or yeah. you can get a first-class ticket for not much more, and they serve you dinner and stuff like that. I mean, those right. things are happening in the world for millions and millions of people, Absolutely. probably more than a billion people, you know, every but day, not here. but not here. Yeah. We're really missing out. It, we really are. And, and so it's time to think about the possibilities. I encourage all the listeners of this podcast to stop thinking about the talking points and the rhetoric and start thinking about the possibilities. We are the greatest economic superpower in the world. We can do this, folks. We can do I this. I rode Amtrak when I lived in D.C. as a personal testimonial, even in this even in this country. I took the Accela between D.C. and New York, and it was excellent. I would do that over queuing at TSA and all that stuff any day of the week. Absolutely. So let's dive into a couple of other things. Electric vehicles, $174 billion. We These... these cars that we talked about earlier in the show they're coming online andy it could honestly it could be the shot in the arm the tva needs as well because of when we've talked about this on a previous show that the demand curve is really out of whack for, for electricity producers right um because people are getting more energy efficient this could put them back on a on a on a good track right. so so there's a lot of domino effects with electric transportation absolutely so. and it's going to be required yeah, I think you will have, like today, you have private gas stations, petrol stations. I think you'll have private electric charging stations. Yeah, and I think it's not as bad as people think. When you think about the, that you can do a supercharge in, say, 30 minutes, Right. you've got a big LCD screen in there, you can watch Netflix, you oh, can yeah. make calls, you can do whatever. I mean, how long are you spending at the gas station anyway? 10 minutes? Right. 15 minutes? So if you're going from 10 minutes to 30 minutes, it's really not the end of the world. Yeah, and isn't it worth preventing the end of the world? Yeah, it kind of is. And I think as well, you, uh, you're you not stopping as much in your to- the total picture of your life. Right. Because if you're just going from home to work and back, right. that's usually within your range. And you're not stopping. So if right. you think of it's total... long trips. Correct. So if you think about like total charging time like that, yeah. I mean... Right. It's it's a lot easier to stomach when you think of the, the that that thirty minute charge time if you think about the big picture of, of using that car. Absolutely. Great point. High speed broadband, a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, I think there's gonna be these so called rural broadband companies that are gonna make a lot of money <laughs> off that. We're laughing folks because uh, we just had some news of a local provider being purchased and bought out and folks are positioning themselves to take advantage of this bill. I'll yeah, I think right there's now. a lot of uh, a lot of the cooperatives and different companies are trying to get into the rural broadband business and they're getting paid a lot of money from the government. I mean, the state of Tennessee forks out a lot of cash to subsidize them bringing broadband to rural communities. And I think that is very important. You know, I'm a strong advocate for that and have been for years and yes. years. 
and the pandemic has taught us even more so how important that is but we have to also keep in mind that some of these environments that they're allowing them to go into are not rural and we right. need to keep our eye on the money yes. and where the money's going and who's getting paid and that's exactly that right. sort of there, stuff. There will be folks positioning themselves very much to take advantage yes. of all of these billions of dollars that are going to be available, paid for, yes, and available. Uh, power grid, clean energy. Now, Andy, we have got to update as Texas proved. Yeah, and and TVA is a leader in this. And listen, folks, TVA the leader. Is, they are the leader, and not without problems tva also they're not perfect no not by any means we've had problems with tva in certain areas but their power production diversity is fantastic it's fa- the just the the whole range of and it's not a lot of it's dirty anymore right, right? so you've got nuclear natural gas, natural yep. gas mm-hmm. hydro yep uh solar, solar. wind yep. you know and and we're less likely as a result of that diversity of of the supply not to run into a situation like what you have in texas Absolutely. And because of the lack of regulations, that's really, you know, these folk, listen, folks, there are crazy regulations. We'll agree with you. Of course, yeah. But there are, folks don't just sit around and dream up regulations. They came around, they, you know, a lot of that stuff is, you know, sort of law of unintended consequences. That's exactly right. They weren't trying to just be difficult as it's painted. Those regulations exist for a reason. They didn't right. come out of thin air, as to you said. To protect the yeah. public, yes. for the most part, from whether it be a weather event or a terrorist event or whatever it might be. Or poison us to death. or Right, yeah. yes. Poison us with the fumes or with the nuclear. Right. right. So let's talk about this as a national security issue as well. Just like our roads and bridges, our power grid is old. Well, our highways are a national security project. They are. That, that is basically what that started as. Yes. Yeah. And I think our power grid shouldn't be treated any differently because the days of us having an all-out hot war between a, a couple of superpowers, it becomes less likely by the day. Yeah. What's more likely is that they would want to create complete and utter chaos in our environment. Right. And then... Just, shutting off the power. Correct. And yeah. then them just keep continuing to move forward you know they continue to get up and go to work and pull ahead of us so to speak yes that's what folks don't understand about the disinformation campaigns that went on um uh, even about the vaccines that are going on now our enemies folks they don't want us to get vaccinated just so you know no they want us to not be vaccinated and to fight each other over this i promise you china and russia and iran loves it and north korea but do you think we're going to, any of the countries that you just listed, do you think we would find ourselves in a hot war with them? Like, what's in it for them? What's in it for us? It's more likely that, that you know, we, well, do, we do something, they do something, and, it, and it's tit for tat, and it's going to be in things like the internet, yes, uh, the media, misinformation, power, right. those kind of things. Yes. So that's where we need to be focusing a lot of our, our, our funding and our efforts. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that you always talk to me, to me about, Andy, is that we hear this China stuff all the time. And you've visited China more than anyone that I know. And one of the things that you always talk about is how, you know, how we had the uh, self-assured mutual destruction with the nuclear pact with the Russians, basically. Mm-hmm. If one of us push the button, we're all going to die. Yeah. It's the same economically with China. Definitely. We are self-assured mutual economic destruction if we go to economic war with each other. Yes, definitely, because the uh, 
the economies are so intertwined. Yes. I think what people in the West miss about China is they just want to be respected. Yeah. Of course. And all we want to do, it seems, is to disrespect them. Now, some it's just like any country. Some of that's deserved. Some of it's not deserved. Right. But I, we, what they want to do is be respected and succeed. Yeah. They don't want to kill us. Yeah. I, they, but all you seem to hear on the news is that there's they have some plot against us to do X, Y, or Z. Right. Uh, to the extent that they can sort of have an honorable life, a uh, prosperous life, I honestly don't think that they're concerned day to day with the average American's activities. They, they, right? really, they don't, don't care. They right? really yeah, don't they think care. We're a bunch of cowboys. But if you turn on the money. radio or you yeah. flip on certain channels, you, 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 you think they were obsessed with us. Yes, right. Yeah. Like we are. Like some of us are with them. Yes, and yeah. I think that's a bit more one sided than people realize. And I think a lot of that's rooted in ego. Yeah, of course it you is. You know, on a on a grand scale, but also yeah. on a micro individual scale, oh, they think sure. everybody's worried about them and what they're doing and wanting to hold them back, but it's really not the case. So Rutherford County folks will be glad to hear this since we have what forty eight school I can't believe I, I don't even know how many schools we've built in the since I've lived here for thirty years, but it's phenomenal. A hundred billion dollars for school construction. Yeah. I think that's essential. You want to talk about job creation. Yeah. You know, schools are a place that create a lot of jobs, not just in construction, but on an ongoing basis. Right. So you're going to, in a power situation, you're going to have thousands of people employed, particularly nuclear power, Mm -hmm. thousands of people employed, but it's a fraction of that that has to run that facility. But with a school, it's all about people. Yeah. It's all, and it's, and it's a huge investment in the future. So I'm really happy about that part of it. I think a lot of folks in Rutherford County will be, too. Yeah, we need all the help we can get. Absolutely. Um, Affordable housing. That's a very – and I I think part of that includes some of the upgrading of homes uh, to be more energy efficient. If the ROI, the return on investment is high, like you're saying with the energy efficiency, I'm big time for that. Yeah. But simply using that money to increase supply in the short run, I'm not a big fan of because – Really, the issue is supply and demand when you talk about housing costs. Right. But the federal government, what they generally can do in that arena is a drop in the bucket. And that's honestly, this is a debate I read about all over the world. Like it's a big thing in London and places like that. Sure. You have to figure out a way to get, you know, local. It goes even down to the local level to relax the zoning. Mm -hmm. You know, when you continue, when you think about all the unused space that exists in Nashville, because you have these old city hall infrastructure, you know, infrastructure where they stop development from happening and different things like that, that all those things, and it happens here in Murfreesboro, all those things lead to constricting supply. And I know people don't want to hear it. Right. Um, And it drives us all crazy when it takes us 40 minutes to go from the west side to Sportscom or whatever. Yeah. But the only cure is more supply. And it takes, uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes the whole economy to get behind that, you know, just your one-off funding from the feds isn't really going to do the trick. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And and so that's that's a really good point. And now we have to start, once again, imagining the possibilities of the future. Um, my wife and I bought a new home three years ago. I've never lived in a more energy-efficient home in my life. I mean, our gas and electric bill is averaging less than $200 a month. Yeah, combined. it makes a difference. And, th- and anyway, that's the thing we should be funding right there because yeah. every dollar that people are not spending on energy 
It's right. a dollar that they're going to spend at the, the local, re- yeah, and the local yes. restaurant and then the shops. And- yes, and this, these are why the things that it's important for the consumers to understand that and why they should, well, just like with the Tesla. I'll tell you back back to the Tesla. I'll tell you the thing I told you my wife was interested in one, and you, you want to know what really hooked her? Tell me. The owner told her, he said, the only maintenance I have to do is change the wiper fluid. Yeah, yeah, they, they just run and run. There was a test fleet that this company had of six I think it was Model S's or Model 3's that all had over a million miles on them, all six of them. And I think they put 20 or 30 grand into them service-wise over the life of that because you need the regenerative brakes needed replacing and things like that. Tires, of course. one of them had to have a new battery, Um, you know, pack and stuff. But for the most part, there's no oil changes. It's going to change the face of the automotive industry forever. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, Andy, we need the same thing in homes. I would agree with you on that. And we need consumers. And we don't need gimmicks. That. You and I have been seeing gimmicks for right. for ages. We yeah. don't we don't need gimmicks. We need solutions. Right. So let so now let's get into the community care issue a little bit more. We talked about some of our problems with is it really infrastructure? And why is it included in this bill? I'm gonna throw a theory at you why I think these some of these things that don't involve I gotta hear this. I think it has to do with um uh, reconciliation and i think that it's a political backstop is what the reason why joe biden threw this in here because the odds are and i hope i'm wrong because fred thompson lamar alexander bill haslam all fine men and fine republicans that understood how important infrastructure was to the economy unfortunately we're so divided now into red and blue that I feel like we're probably going to have to use budget reconciliation to get this through. and Biden, That makes sense. Biden already understands this, and it's his backstop. Now, he's going to try to see if he can get something through without utilizing the budget reconciliation rule. Odds are he's not. So he had he wanted some other things in here, so he threw them in here so that they would get through. Now, I, my political analysis may be completely wrong on that. <laughs> or maybe they're bargaining chips. Those are things he's willing to take off the table as well. That's exactly right. I know one of the things that a lot of my folks will be asking for is for more for the roads and bridges that to be a larger component of this bill than it already is. And I think that's a fair ask. Oh, I do too. Yeah. So... But I think those people need to look in the mirror, the ones that want more money for roads and bridges, and, and ask themselves why they keep making the donations that they're making for people that don't want to help them out. That is a fantastic point. That's a fantastic point. So I give you money, and you continue to go on the hill and vote against and infrastructure vote against bills. Me. Yeah, Right. And and so you bring up a great... I had a Facebook post on my, uh, on my Facebook page for the Man in the Middle podcast. And um, it was the Jefferson Pike Project here in Rutherford County, $70 million project, very large project. It uh, has to rank up there in the top 10 or top 20 in the state of Tennessee. It must at that contract value, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we had five politicians in that photo, and, not a, and they all had their shovel out. Oh, we can't wait to build Jefferson Pike. And not a single person in that photo voted to raise the gas tax. Yeah, it's an embarrassment. Yeah, they should they should be ashamed of themselves doing that sort of thing. It, it, it's hypocrisy at its ultimate. As my good friend Jimmy Cotty said, the um, Georgia uh, Ready Mix Association uh, executive director was recently on, and in Georgia they passed this stuff 
all Republicans for the most, heavily Republican, not a single Republican lost their seat after yeah. passing the gas tax. And so these folks here need to understand that right now, this Biden plan, 72%. NBC poll came out today. Mm-hmm. 72% approve, Andy. I believe it. I believe it. That's a lot of conservatives. Yeah, it is. I think people need to understand, though, what what, what those no votes mean. And what what it tells me is what they think of me yeah. as a constituent. Yeah. And how important they feel you know my need to get from point a to point b is or to have a prosperous community right. that tells me that that is not those things are not their priorities right their, their priorities are something else get to get reelected probably not to lose a primary or, or to worse, someone to the far right or worse or wor- there's well, in, you know there's interest group not, there's interest right. groups that are are lobbying them to oh, yeah. vote no on those things oh yeah well there's the Koch brothers i when the when the uh um, the gas tax improve act came through in Tennessee. There was a large group. They, uh, the mayor of Murray County, showed up with his little gas can <laughs> mascot. He was so cute, you know. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, it's a con job. It is. A it's con a con job. job. So you get the 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 interest group that's against paying a little bit more for the gas tax because it affects the bottom line of that that large entity. Right. And they they enlist. A lot of people that that are really going to benefit from that that improved infrastructure to be against it to, right. to be against their own interests, Which, and so and that's folks, a story honestly that's old, as old as time. It, it, it goes as far back I know it as eighteen sixty one. So, isn't that the truth? It is. It, there's the, so many it, similarities in that whole so situation. Many similarities. Yeah. Why would one uh, percent uh, of the Southerners that owned slaves, and that's about the number yeah. that actually owned one slave or more? Why would 99% of the poor people go fight the for that? same sort of dynamics it is these the tactics same psychology. It, it's the same kind of tactics it is we need to get the we because we're a small group of people that control a lot of the money and these kind of things and we need to enlist the average joe into yes. doing that and there's been a pretty big machine built to do it yeah you right. have to honestly i mean i don't i don't agree with it obviously i i don't think it's right Right. But you do have tactically, you do have to take your hat off to them that they have built a very well oiled machine at at enlisting the average person to be against this. Yeah. But well, what the average person is fighting that's on that side is is a culture war, just like a lot of folks on the left are fighting a culture war. Meanwhile, our bridges are falling apart. Yeah, they are. Meanwhile, our roads are falling apart. Our schools are falling in. Our electric system has gone to. Uh, you know, uh, unreliable in some cases. Not here in the Tennessee Valley, no. <laughs> though. Not with our quasi-governmental electric yeah. uh, generator. Not here, but in other places. I just want things to work. Me too. That's my starting place. Is I just want I want things to work. And anybody that wants to stand in the way of things working, then you know I'm just going to draw a line through through that. You know, <laughs> right. I just you you're not getting a political donation from me. You're not going to hear too many nice words coming out of my mouth about that person. And, and unfortunately, we've got a lot of those folks around here. If you're not going to be a force for good, for right. working people, I just really don't. And, and that goes, that to me, that's outside of the typical political ideology. It's just the uh, what they call first principles, you know, in yeah. philosophy. Like That's just a personal first principle. Well, I think that's a good first person, uh, principle because the middle class did build this country. Unions did build the middle class. Joe Biden is right about that. 
and the middle class did build this country and we're shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller instead of hating on government we should be thinking about what the government is there to do for us and allow us as as private citizens to flourish to provide the environment so that we can flourish in a capitalistic system not a socialistic system okay let me tell you what socialism andy Subsidies for the oil and gas business. Yeah, those are going away. If Joe has his way, they're going away. They're going away in this bill. Absolutely. We and the way that's going to get framed is Joe's trying to raise the price of gasoline. Oh, yeah. They're going to, oh, yep. He's going to raise the price of gas. Oh, yeah. They use this double talk. And, and anyway, folks, I strongly encourage you uh, to read Adam Smith's uh, Wealth of Nations, to do a little bit of research on your own on capitalism rather than turning on certain media stations and just read a book. Yeah, yeah. I've been in socialist countries, uh, real ones, you know, where people are getting up in the morning on Sunday at 7 a.m. and they're blasting the exercises and everybody's out on the sidewalk doing exercises <laughs> right, together. Right, And, uh, even those places are not as socialist as, as our conservative media would have. You know, on the street, it's always capitalism. That's what Every, you everywhere. always say. It doesn't matter where you live; the street is capitalistic. Yeah, and I and I mm. and I grew up in the inner city, so I mean, the street the streets are always telling the truth. And even in a communist country, there's always capitalism at the street level. So, Andy, I know we're beyond. Uh, we're we're very ecstatic about this, not because. Our side is winning, but because we have a plan. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I am really enjoying being bored to death by this presidency. I have to admit that. Like, it just, yeah. oh my goodness, there's a list of things they want to do. There's costs written next to them, and there is also a way to pay for them. Yeah. And, and, and wow. Takes care of a lot of issues, right? And so now we're going to have a vote. Now we're going to have a vote. Yes. And people, you know, I think we need more of it. We certainly do. I think do. if you want to kind of, uh, that's how you're going to steer the country back on track with the partisanship right. is if those like three things I described, you have something you want to do, you know what it costs and you have a way to pay for it. And right. I guess the fourth thing is now we're going to have a vote. If right. we do enough of that, even if those things get voted down, it's going to start to recondition the co- the government and the country to a man or to a woman that back to the way things used to be. That's exactly right. Well, it's funny on, on one of my, uh, social media pages I said I challenged anyone that had a better way I'm all ears uh, by the way the ARTBA American Road Transportation Association did a year-long study on how to transition and save the highway trust fund I would encourage everyone to look at that because a lot of very smart people I always ask them what would you cut that, that are in the industry yeah. these people that are just very well, rhetorically I, I, against well, any kind of come back and he said <laughs> this is what he said gender studies to pakistan would be first place i start and and i don't mean to be disrespectful but you have to understand the, that the congress has not been in regular order yeah for the last decade since mitch mcconnell has been the, was the majority leader in the senate let's just be flat out honest about that we have not had regular order. And what that means is, is that they wait until the 11th hour. Everything gets thrown into one giant omnibus bill that's 6,000 pages long. They don't have time to read it. It comes out the night before they vote. Yeah. And you either vote to shut the government down or you don't. Right. And I think that that's a buzzword. I mean, when you know some of the things that go on in the world to women and stuff. Right. You know, I don't know that that was bad, bad money, but... I also, it drives me insane 
when we're arguing like that amount of money is loose it's change nothing. it's loose we're we're arguing about sort of we hate each other over the loose change we're in the couch. St- we're stepping on dollars. You to know, pick oh, up pennies, I don't. You know, right? you're, somebody doesn't talk to their kin anymore. What'd y'all fight over? Well, you know, there was ten thousand dollars cash on the coffee table, but we got in an argument over the loose change in the couch, and now we don't speak. Exactly. That doesn't make any that, sense. That's exactly right. And and my point is about gender studies in Pakistan. Whether you're for it or against it, or there's good reasons for it or not. I can tell you a couple of good reasons. We pay off the package so they don't nuke the Indians, so we don't have a global catastrophe. Let's well, just be just honest. Well, it's just stability, you know. It's, stability. It's cheaper than fighting. But forget all of that. In regular world, regular order, there would have been a committee that would have voted up or down on gender yeah. studies in Pakistan. That would have then moved to the floor that would have voted up or down on specifically gender studies in Pakistan. But now, because they are not in regular order, let's hope that changes. Let's hope that Chuck Schumer changes that. Yeah. And we start having committees make recommendations. Remember the Ways and Means committees? Nobody that's even talks the about thing, them anymore. Well, that's the one thing that I have to ding John McCain on is that this, you know, not just him alone, but he was one of the leaders of that, this anti-pork barrel you know, spending a, a movement, I guess is the best way to describe it, right. has set the stage for a lot of this. That pork barrel spending was the grease that made yes. DC work. Oh, I mean, so everybody loves that up. Everybody loves to hate on that, and it's so tied in with infrastructure, right? Oh, so yeah, you think about all the infrastructure stuff that we enjoy even today that was basically pork barrel spending, a- a- right? Andy, you're not gonna believe this. There is a bipartisan movement going on in DC right now to bring earmarks back. Yeah. And this Good. is the part you're not going to believe. Our congressman, Scott Desjardins, says he's in favor of bringing earmarks Well, he's tired back. of showing up to job sites for things that he voted against. What did I ding him on, Andy, when we ran? What did I ding him on? Well, there were great projects home. Correct. There was a lot of things, but that honestly was the biggest one. And I see a lot of locals, you know, or in and around South Pittsburgh, Pikeville, places like that, just drag him over it. People that aren't political. Right. I mean, it looks bad, but yet he still gets elected, so I don't get it. Earmarks grease the skids. They do. For lack of a better term. And, and honestly, a lot. if you think about it, you know, that they were talking about the funding some museum, corn museum or something got one time. Guess what? We're still talking about the corn museum. Yeah. People still go there. Yeah. They got some help from the feds. That little town, it could be their lifeline, you yeah. know? So, yeah. well, is hey, that a bad hey, thing? Yeah, right. Well, hey, we've got mega churches in town that got $1.1 million from the yeah. federal government that don't pay a dime in taxes and don't have to pay it back. Is that a bad thing? Uh, I, it's the same as the corn music. Yeah. So if you're going to make argument against one, you got to make an argument against the other. That's exactly right. Andy Dickey, this has been an awesome show. Any, uh, We could go on forever, folks, but we've got to wrap it up. I hope we've touched enough on infrastructure. We really got into the weeds. Uh, Andy, anything you'd like to leave with our Man in the Middle podcast audience? Just uh, keep an open mind, and you know, I hope you look forward to this sort of measured Here's what we want to do. Here's what it costs. Let's vote. Good governance. Yeah. Let's just get back to that. And it doesn't matter if you like Joe Biden or you hate his guts or what, whatever. I can't imagine anybody not being for that. And if it's no good, then it'll get voted it'll down. It'll get voted down. There you go. That's right. And if it's good and we can pay for it, right? Then it gets through. And, you know, we should all be in favor. That, that's how government's supposed to work. Absolutely. Folks, I strongly encourage you to look up the Highway Trust Fund. 
find out how it works and try to come up with ideas of how we're going to transition because we're still going to need roads, Andy. We are. Andy Dickey, Global Business Development Management for a large international corporation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. I'm Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle, and I'll see you next week. Have you ever had a dream that you had? You would, you could, you